open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Again, I apologize, I'm reading from NASB, so it might not be exactly the words that you have in your ESV or whatever else you have. Our passage is beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have looked on us in our sin and in our rebellion against you, that you have loved us and you have made a way for salvation for us through your Son, your free gift to us through him is righteousness and eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts that we would live the outworking of that in our lives, that we would we would live not as slaves to sin, but as slaves to you. Lord, I pray that you would You would help me to preach this word today, not as my opinion, but your word, that I would not present things that are untrue, but but things which are from you, from your word, what you have for us to hear. Help me to speak clearly, to bring understanding and not confusion. Most of all, let this be for your 
glory and honor above all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We at Milford Bible Church are good Protestants. We believe in salvation, not by works. We've preached whole sermon series on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification by faith. But what does that mean for us practically? How does that play out then in our lives? Does the fact that we are not saved by our works mean that what we do isn't important? That it doesn't finally matter how we live our lives? Is that, is that what justification by faith means? One answer that's given to this question is given by the so-called free grace theology, a free grace movement, which teaches that Obviously, there's variations within any movement, but the general gist is that someone can live a life in sin, in disobedience, rebellion against God. Someone could maybe believe in Christ, become a Christian, live for some time what appears to be a Christian life, and then abandon Christ altogether, reject Christ, reject his church, go back to a life of sin, Never come back to Christ. But as long as at some point in that person's life they believed in Christ, accepted as true that Christ is the Son of God, that he was crucified for our sins, that he rose again, as long as that person at some point in their life believed that, made a profession of faith, then that person will be saved. That that person will ultimately be in Christ with God forever. No, ma- that, no, matter, no matter what your behavior is, that there's no, no limit to the amount of sin you could go into, as long as you, at some point you believed in Christ, you're saved. They'll say, you should believe in Christ. You, I mean, you should obey Christ. That Christian maturity requires that you are sanctified, that you grow in Christ. And if you do these things, if you obey Christ, you follow Christ, you'll have ultimately greater reward. But that ultimately, belief at some point in Christ will irrevocably bring you justification. Because justification is free. That you'll be with Christ forever. If we look at our passage, we're going to see that this is, this is the kind of question that Paul is addressing here in Romans 6. The question about the relationship between our justification and our sanctification. Look at verse 15, which is the, the question that Paul is answering in the whole of our passage. Right? He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And we're going to look at Paul's answer, and we're going to look at four points. First, he says, Christians are not to sin because we become slaves of whoever it is that we obey. This is verses 15 and 16. 
Then he says, you Christians are not slaves to sin, but we've been set free and have become slaves of God. Verses 17 and 18. Then because of this truth, because we have been set free, we must not allow sin to rule over us. Verse 19. And this is because slavery bears eternal consequences. Verses 20 to 23. All right. So now before we really get into this passage, let's see how, how Paul's gotten here, right? He's not just coming to this out of nowhere and answering this question. Leading up to this, the first five chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been teaching, explaining justification by faith alone, apart from works. He's taught that our standing before God is not based on our merit, not on anything that we've done to earn it, but on the merit of Christ. And that his merit, Christ's merit, is credited to us freely by grace, so that in Christ we are counted as righteous before God apart from what we do. All right? This is the, the rock-solid foundation that Paul has laid down already. All right? And this whole conversation, then, is based on that truth. All right? The question, then, is, okay, because of that truth, what's, then, the result in our in our lives that we live practically, right? And let's just briefly overview the, the first half of the chapter because it's closely related here. Paul's answering in the first half of the chapter a similar question about what then? Are we to continue in sin? He argues that because of the Christian's new identity in Christ, it would be a contradiction for the Christian to continue to live in sin. Right? He, he says that we have this new identity, a new status in Christ. We have been brought from under the dominion of sin. We've been freed from the slavery of sin, which bound us in Adam and we've been set free. It's important to realize here that when Paul speaks of sin, he's not speaking just or even primarily about specific acts that we do in rebellion against God. He's talking about sin as a power which wields authority over people. Right? Sin has power. Sin represents a kingdom opposed to God, a rule opposed to God, right? There's two kingdoms at work here. In Adam, the first kingdom, the first kingdom that he's talking about is that in Adam, Adam rebelled against God. He disobeyed in the garden. He sought to follow his own way rather than obeying the rule of God. And as a result, everyone who is born follows in the path of Adam, is counted with Adam in rebellion against God, right? And is ruled over by sin. 
The second realm, the second kingdom, is the kingdom of God in Christ. That Christ came, he obeyed God, he fulfilled the requirements of God, and in him, people are in obedience to God, in right relationship with God. People, we have moved in Christ, which is, is what Paul's arguing, from Adam into Christ, and we've been united with Christ, right? In verse 3, so we've been, or verse, yeah, verse 3, we've all of us have been baptized into his Christ, have been baptized into his death, and we see continual language throughout the first half of the chapter about union with Christ, right? Who we are is now in union with Christ. His death has become our death. His resurrection has become our resurrection. And as a result of this, our old self is dead. It's been crucified with Christ. Our old self, who we were in Adam, who we were in rebellion against God, is dead. No longer has power, no longer really even exists fundamentally. Our old identity has been decisively put to death in the death of Christ. And then on this basis that we have a new identity, that our old identity has been crucified, on the basis of this status of being in Christ, Paul then gives a string of commands in verses 11 through 14. And I'm going to read it because it's important that we, we see what, where Paul's going here. And this also sort of governs the context of the passage we're going to be looking at. He says, so you also, on the basis of this identity, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments, or the word means weapons, as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life and your members to God as instruments or weapons for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So already leading into the passage that we're focusing on, we see that in Christ, we have a new identity, free from the power of sin over us. We are dead to sin, alive to Christ. All right. So, and how this works is that the indicative grounds the imperatives, right? So that, that, what that means is that what Paul is saying is true, what is, that's the indicative, provides the ground for, the basis on which we have the imperative, the command. Because this is true, therefore do this. All right? And because of who we are in Christ, that's the basis for our fight against sin experientially in our life. All right, and this is, this is not just, you know, we, it's a fight, it's a war, right? He's talking about weapons. There, there's two kingdoms are battling here for supremacy. And each and every one of us is personally involved in that battle. And the stakes of that battle are high. Ultimately, we'll see that this, this is a war over our very souls, right? 
So with this background then, justification in Christ, we are made right with God. And on the basis of that, we are at war against sin. Let's get into our passage. All right. So in verse 15, there's the question that Paul raises. What then are we to sin because we are not under law or under grace? So this is directly responding to the previous verse. He said, sin shall not be master over you. For you, for, because you are not under law, but under grace. So then the response is, okay, if we're not under law, but we're under grace now, does that mean we can sin? We can continue to sin, right? So what does it mean then to be under law or under grace, right? Paul has just used this as shorthand for that transfer of kingdoms, right? You were under law, you're not under law anymore, you're under grace. You've moved from the, the kingdom of sin in Adam, under the rule of the law, to Christ, under grace. All right. So what that phrase, under the law, means is that you're in Adam, you're under, ju- under the judgment of God, because you have not, no one has, fulfilled the requirements of God's law. Right? No one has fulfilled that law, the requirements. So all of us are due judgment under the law because that's the penalty. No one has fulfilled it except for one person, which is Christ. Right? In Galatians, we see this explained a little bit. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, says, God sent forth his son, that is Christ, born of a woman, born under law, So Christ is born under the law in order to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this then becomes what it means to be under grace. Christ came into the world. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. He, under the law, was righteous before God. And under the law... He he received at the cross the penalty that each one of us was due for our sins under the law, right? And by doing so, he freed us from the power of the law. We are no longer bound to that penalty of sin because Christ has taken it for us and freed us from it. So we are no longer under law, under the penalty of God's wrath. We are now under grace the free gift of righteousness in Christ Jesus. All right, this is the gospel. We know this as the gospel, that Christ has died for us so that we can be reconciled to God and made right with him. So the question then in verse 15 is, okay, we're not under law, we're under grace. So now I've been given the free gift of righteousness. I have a relationship with God now, I'm no longer considered to be in rebellion. And this has nothing to do with what I've done, but only what Christ has done. So does that mean that I can keep on sinning? Because my sin isn't what's giving me, what isn't keeping me from God. What I do isn't the basis for my relationship. It's outside me. So what does it matter if I still sin? Right? So free grace Theology says, you shouldn't sin, right? You've been saved, you shouldn't sin. But if you do, if you continue in sin, if you live a life of sin and rebellion to God, 
if you've believed you're still in Christ, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And that's okay, because God's gift of grace is free. All right, so that's, that's one possible answer to the question. Let's look at, let's look at what Paul says. All right, Paul's answer is a strong no. We are not to sin. It doesn't come across necessarily in English, but this is an extremely emphatic denial. Probably the most emphatic way that Paul could say no in the original language. This is absolutely not. Right, and why? He says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? If you present yourself to anyone as a slave, obedient slave, you're a slave of that. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Right? So this is our, the first point. Christians are not to sin because... We become slaves of whoever we obey. In other words, do not live in sin because you become a slave to whatever you obey. Your obedience is what makes you a slave. And there's only two options here. Either you're a slave of sin under the dominion of sin or you're a slave of God. There's no middle ground here to inhabit, right? And this, this antithesis will be emphasized repeatedly throughout the course of the passage, and I'm not going to necessarily draw your attention to it every time, but you'll see it if you're paying attention, that there's either you're in sin or you're in Christ. Either you're a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness or you're a slave of God. There's no neutral parties. Nobody is sitting back on the sidelines watching this war and saying, hmm, which side should I get on? Right? Either you're on the side of sin or you're on the side of God. Now, why did I say slave of God right here when the verse says slave of obedience? All right, so the passage is going to keep talking about this divide. It's going to talk about this verse is slave of obedience. For most of the chapter, it's going to say slave of righteousness. But if you look ahead to verse 22, Paul speaks of being set free from sin and becoming enslaved to God, right? So we have slavery to obedience, slavery to righteousness, slavery to God. These are not three different slaveries that Paul is talking about. This is three different ways that Paul is talking about the same condition, right? Being slave to God is the same as being a slave to righteousness, is the same as being a slave to obedience, all right, so why does Paul talk about it this way instead of just saying slave of God every time? I believe he does it this way because it shows more clearly what slavery to God looks like. Slavery to God looks like obedience. It looks like righteous living. So then... What does it look like then to be a slave of God or a slave of sin? What are, what are signs of that? If we look back at 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13, where Paul is given a command, we can get a, a hint here, right? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign. Do, verse 13, do not go on presenting your members as slaves, uh, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Right? If you're giving yourself over into obedience 
to sin, then you are a slave of sin. If you are presenting yourself to sin, giving yourself opportunity to sin, making peace with your sin, accepting the state of being in sin, then you are at least acting as a slave of sin. Paul says you're a slave of sin if you're obeying sin. Right? Now, Paul isn't saying if you ever sin, you're a slave of sin. If you sin at all, you're a slave of sin. No, he's talking about what is the dominant ruling principle of your life? What is it that defines the way you live? Is it obedience to sin or is it obedience to God? Right? We, we know this from scripture that in this life, we're not going to reach a point where we're totally without sin, where we don't sin anymore. You know, 1 John 1, 8, if we have no sin, if we, sorry, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? We know this as a fact, that we are never in this life before we're ultimately sanctified at the end of time. We're never completely free from sin, all right? But this brings us to the second point, right? He says we're not to be slaves of sin. And now in, verse, in point two, verses 17 and 18, he says, you, Christian, are in fact not a slave of sin. You have been set free and you have become slaves of God. So verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. All right, so again, we come back to that indicative idea, right? The, the truth of what you are. If you are in Christ, you are no longer slaves of sin. One time, at one point, we were slaves of sin, but now we have been set free from sin. We have died to sin. We cannot any longer live in slavery to sin. Right? In Christ, we have become slaves of righteousness. And that slavery to righteousness is manifested in obedience to God. Right? Notice how Paul describes it. You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 17. In Christ we have a radically different identity, a radically different nature. We are not bound anymore by the power of sin to obey the desires of the flesh. We have been given a new heart. We have a heart that loves God, a heart that yearns to please God. It's from our heart, the outflow of our new desires that we've been given. We have become obedient. Notice the passive verbs here, right? He doesn't say, you have set yourself free from sin, right? He says, you have been freed by someone else from sin. You have been enslaved to righteousness. This is not something that we have done, but what God has done in us. He has freed us. He has brought us into conformity to his righteousness. That's why Paul says, thanks be to God right? There's no glory for us here. 
There's nothing for us to boast about, right? This is not our work in ourselves. This is the work of God in us. In our union with Christ's death, right? His death is our death. In, through that union, sin has been put to death in us. This is the glorious grace of God in the gospel. Not just that we have been forgiven of sin, not just that we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we've been saved from the power of sin over us. We have been brought from one kingdom to another, from the dominion of sin, the kingdom of sin, into the kingdom of God. Praise God. Thanks be to God. All right? As Paul continues, now he's going to give a little parenthesis here at the beginning of verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, right? I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. What he's saying is, I'm using an illustration here from from human life that you will understand, right? We are limited as humans. We cannot, do not, we cannot fully grasp the spiritual realities that Paul's talking about, of our union with Christ, our freedom from sin. Paul, so Paul here is using an illustration, slavery as an illustration to communicate something that's true to us, right? It's not the the whole of the truth, but he's communicating something of the truth to us. So we should recognize that slavery then isn't a perfect illustration. It's not a perfect metaphor for our relationship to God, right? There's even a place where he says, I don't call you slaves anymore, right? And it's not a perfect metaphor for our relationship to sin either, right? There's something which is true about slavery, which is also true about our relationship to sin and which becomes then in Christ true about our relationship to God, right? But it's not everything associated with slavery. We can't take all of our thoughts and understandings about slavery and then transfer that to our understanding of how we relate to sin or to God. Make sense? So what I, be- what I believe is pretty clear from the context of this passage that the primary point of comparison Paul is making is obedience, right? He says, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Paul is defining slavery in terms of obedience, right? One defining characteristic of a slave is that he is obedient to his master, right? When we were slaves of sin, we were obedient to sin. Now, we are no longer in Christ obedient to sin, we are obedient to God. That's the point that Paul is making. The the obedience that characterized our slavery to sin has changed in us. We've, it becomes characteristic of our relationship to God, from obedience to sin to obedience to God. And it says we've become obedient from the heart. Right? And this points to an important difference than with our relationship to sin or to God and our understanding of slavery. Right? When we think of slavery, we think of coercion and degradation, right? So a slave is forced against his will to obey his master, right? His will is crushed, beaten down by the will of his master, right? This is not true 
of our slavery to God, or for that matter, of our slavery to sin. Right? In both cases, the obedience, obedience to God or obedience to sin, comes from our own will, willingly, right? The nature of our slavery to sin is that our will, our desires, are directed toward sin, enslaved to sin, directed to sin, right? In Adam, outside of Christ, we're only capable of wanting to obey our fleshly desires, wanting to obey sin. To be set free from sin means that God gives us new desires, a new heart, right? A heart that no longer desires to obey sin, but desires to obey God. This is why Paul says we become obedient from the heart. Right? Our obedience to God comes from out of our heart, from our true desires, which he has put within us. And our slavery to sin works in pretty much the same way. Tom Schreiner, there's a great quote in his commentary on Romans 6 where he talks about this. He says, Unbelievers are totally subservient to sin as a power that exerts authority over their lives. But the slavery envisioned is not coercion. People don't submit to sin against their will. Rather, they freely and spontaneously choose to sin. In other words, unbelievers are slaves to sin and they always desire to carry out the dictates of their master. This does not mean that those with addictions, for example, to alcohol, pornography, or gambling, never wish to be free. It means that the desire for those things is ultimately greater than the desire to be free from them. End of quote. The idea is our slavery is not unwilling, right? Either to God or to sin, we are willing and eager to obey our master. Getting back into the text, Paul moves then from this indicative that in Christ we are free from slavery to sin to the imperative, right? So point three, because of this truth, because of who we are, we've been changed, we are slaves now to God, we must not allow sin to rule over us. Verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... Here's the command, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, right? This is now more active. He says, present, do this, right? Again, this is a willing obedience, right? You offer yourself up in obedience. And this, this echoes back to those commands in 11 through 14, right? Because of who you are in Christ, therefore, do this. Because you are dead to sin, don't let sin reign. Because you've been set free from sin, because you are slaves of righteousness, present your members as slaves to righteousness. Right? We've gone from passive to active. Because of what is, what has been done, do. We are called to actively participate. This doesn't mean that it's not still God's work in us, or that we do this on our own apart from God. It's still God's work. Right? The only way for us to make sense of this is to recognize, again, that indicative-imperative relationship, right? We are able to do this because God has done, because of what he's done in us. You know, it, it can become almost silly if you look at the logic unless you understand this, right? Verse 12 says, do not let sin reign. 
And then when Paul comes to the reason, verse 14, he says, because sin will have no dominion over you. So to paraphrase that, don't let sin rule over you because sin will not rule over you. Right? God empowers us to do what he requires of us. Right? We're only able to present our members as slaves to righteousness because we've been set free from the power of sin. It's only because we have died to sin in our union with Christ that we are able to stop offering ourselves to impurity and lawlessness. Right? And notice that these are not static conditions. Right? You're a slave of sin. You're a slave of righteousness. No, the slavery leads deeper and deeper into slavery. Right? Verse 19, we were slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Right? You don't just stay there, you go deeper. We handed, the more we handed ourselves over to sin, give ourselves over to the desires of the flesh, the deeper we go into sin, the more power it has over us. And in the same way, we become slaves of righteousness and obedience, it leads to more obedience to God, right? Slaves of righteousness, you've become slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification, right? When we are obeying from the heart to the standard of teaching, we're living in righteousness, it leads to more righteousness, more obedience, greater holiness, greater conformity to Christ. This is our sanctification, right? We're being made continually more and more into the image of Christ. We're going deeper and deeper into slavery to God, right? Now we get to the, the last point here, right? Slavery bears eternal consequences, right? We must not allow sin to rule over us because slavery bears eternal consequences. Specifically, eternal life or eternal death depends on whose slave we are. All right? Let me repeat that. Eternal life and eternal death depends on who we are serving as a slave. All right, so verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We see again here the exclusivity of the two slaveries. You're not a slave, slave to sin and a slave to righteousness at the same time. Right? It says, when you were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness had no power in your life. Righteousness had no claim on your obedience. Right? But now... In Christ, you've been set free from sin, and sin no longer has power in your life. You've become a slave of God, and he has power in your life for righteousness. All right, this doesn't mean, again, that we don't ever sin, that sin has no you know, existence in our life, but it's about the, the overarching rule of our life. <clears throat> right, and the point that Paul is going on to make here is that these slaveries have eternal consequences, right? He says, what fruit were you getting when you were a slave of sin? When you were doing the things that now in Christ you're ashamed of, right? And the question answers itself. There's no good fruit that was coming at that time. Only shame was coming. And again, this is another good indicator of whether you are a slave of Christ, right? If, if you look back on who you were, 
the sin, slavery to sin, obedience to sin, and you're not ashamed of it. If there's no shame in your sin and who you were in sin, then you might not be a slave of Christ. Right? When we are changed from one kingdom to the other, from the rule of sin to the rule of Christ, the things that we did in sin are shameful to us. Right? So there is no good fruit coming from slavery to sin, only shame. And the result of that slavery, the end point, right? He says the end of these things, of those things, is death. The end point, the destination which those things are working to, is death. And this is not just temporary physical death, right? This is presented in contrast to eternal life, which comes as a result to slavery to God. So this is eternal death, separation from God. All right, he says, now that you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get, we're a pretty clear parallel here, leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The fruit of slavery to God brings sanctification, obedience to God, right? So now slavery to God does have good fruit. It does produce a good result. Living in righteousness leads us to become more holy, more like Christ. It leads to sanctification, right? And here's, here's the bit that's challenging to us, which doesn't fit nicely into our theological box of how we might simplistically think of justification by faith, right? He says the end of sanctification, the, the goal of that, the final outcome of sanctification in your life is eternal life. Right? This is the parallel. The, the goal, the end point, the result of the things we did in slavery to sin is death. The end goal, the end point of the things we do in slavery to God is eternal life. Right? That is, sanctification, obedience, growth in holiness, the process worked out in our life of becoming more like Christ leads us to eternal life. And I'm not just getting that from this passage alone. There's numerous passages which talk like this, right? Two chapters over, chapter 8, verse 13, Paul writes, For if you live according to the flesh, according to the desires of the flesh, slavery to sin, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? Here also, Paul is framing our eternal destiny in terms of the things that we do practically in our life, right? Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul talks of the deeds of the flesh, lists off a number of them, immorality, impurity, sensuality, etc. And then says, those who practice such things, those whose life is defined by these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He then goes to list off a whole bunch of behaviors which are characteristic of slavery to sin. And then he says, Such were some of you. Those of us who are in Christ are no longer characterized by those things. James 2 says, Faith apart from works is dead. It cannot save you. Hebrews 12, 14, one more. He says, 
strive, that is work hard for, peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A person whose life is not characterized by obedience to God will not receive eternal life. The person whose life is characterized by disobedience to God, obedience to sinful passion, slavery to sin, will receive eternal death. All right? Now you say, hang on a second. Aren't you now contradicting justification by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works? All right? Aren't you now saying that your work is what gets you right before God? No. No. By no means. All right? Hopefully... I've been dropping enough hints going through here that you recognize that that's not what I'm saying, right? Remember, we have the indicative that grounds the imperative, right? The indicative comes first. We have union with Christ. We are in Christ, therefore, right? Remember, we are a new creation, right? One of the commentaries I read talked about us walking on resurrection ground, Right? Remember where our obedience comes from. Remember where this sanctification comes from. The ground of our justification is grace alone, through faith alone. In no way does our sanctification, does our works, our holiness, merit or earn our justification. Right? Verse 22, we, see, we have this same passive voice going on. Right? You have been set free from sin. You have been enslaved to God, right? This is what God is still doing in us. And if we look at verse 23, we see that here, that there's a point where this slavery to sin and slavery to God aren't quite parallel, right? Sin merits death. Sin earns death. Paul calls it wages, right? When you work, you earn wages. If you live in slavery to sin, you earn earn eternal death, right? This is not the case with eternal life, right? Eternal life is not presented as the wages of our sanctification. Rather, eternal life and everything that leads up to it, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification in eternal life, being made like Christ, all of that is an unmerited gift, a free gift, apart from anything that we've done. It's a free gift of God's grace. Justification, union with Christ, death to sin, a new heart, new desires, all of it flows freely from God's grace. All right, so there's no contradiction here with justification by faith alone. Right? Contrary to what so-called free grace theology teaches, justification is necessarily accompanied by sanctification, right? Always and exclusively, if you are justified, you will be sanctified. You will be made more like Christ. That's not optional, right? We're not saved by a profession of faith that says, I believe these things, and then no change, right? Being saved by God changes you, right? Faith is not something that just, you just say, or you just intellectually assent to, and then doesn't do anything, 
right? We're not saved by a profession of faith, but by a living faith coming from a changed heart. Right? So Christians, what Paul is saying is, do not let sin reign over you to be your master. It cannot. Right? You've been united to Christ. You're dead to sin in him, dead to its power. Thanks be to God. He has brought you out of the power of sin, given you a new heart in obedience, and brought you into conformity to his son. Right? So we need to live in that, right? Encourage one another in the church. Remind each other who you are in Christ. Remind each other of the power at work in us. And on the basis of that, encourage one another to good works. Encourage one another to make war against sin, to make war against slavery to sin. But above all that, thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God that you were once a slave of sin. You have been set free. You've been made a slave of God. And thanks be to God that though the wages of sin is death, that we've earned is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we we bow down before you. You are worthy. We are not worthy. We have not done anything to merit the good that you have done for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were in rebellion against you, slaves of sin, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to live in the truth that we have been set free. Help us to live in a way that accords with our slavery to you, our obedience, our slavery to obedience. Lord, if there's anyone here who is living in obedience to sin, who is a slave of sin, who is not following you, Lord, open their heart, open their eyes to see you, to see the glory of your salvation and what you can do in their heart, Lord. Bring them to know you. Give them a love for you. Give them union with your Son. Through faith. And Lord, just help all of us to walk in the truth of what you have done for us, to walk as those who are slaves of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.